Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. Around the world on our Ruth Sheva Radio, Israel National News slash Radio. And we're happy to be sponsored by the S4 Group, S4GRP.com. Please go to their website, sign up for a very informative weekly newsletter on politics and policy, state by state, federal, etc. What a week it's been. Wow, so much to talk about. The primary season is finally coming to an end. Do we actually feel like we can remember when this presidential election started? It was, well, at one point there were 17 Republicans, only five Democrats. Um, there was a flirtation by Joe Biden. One time he was going to get in the race. He's not in the race. And we are left with we are left with two candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, the most historically unfavorable, the most historically, as we know in politics, upside-down candidates that you have had ever. And it's quite amazing that of all the candidates that the winner pick, we ended up with two that have are so unpopular, so untrustworthy, and have such negative, negative perceptions by the public. We're going to go into that a little bit later about the presidential race, but I want to get into first an issue that we occasionally have spoken about in the past but we haven't really touched it for a while here in new york state i have to give praise well we got to give praise at the same time nothing in new york state is ever ever simple but governor cuomo this past sunday the morning right before the israel day parade governor cuomo signed an executive order saying that new york state will not do business with or cannot do business with any organization that promotes or practices boycott, divestment, or sanctions of the state of Israel, BDS. And we should all be aware of the incredibly malevolent, pernicious, anti-Jewish, hostile nature of boycotting Israel, singling out Israel amongst all the nations of the world for a specific boycott. And the supporters of the BDS movement say, well, we are, we're peaceful. We're not terrorists. And they say, this is just like the sanctions against South Africa with regard to apartheid, etc. And they go on and on. And we have a, have a nonviolent way of protesting Israel's actions. And they do that. Well, just to give you my thoughts for a second, let's just talk about the fact that Governor Cuomo did this. Governor Cuomo went ahead and signed this executive order. But it's unfortunate that he had to do that because an executive order in many cases means that legislation could not pass, that we couldn't get a law passed in Albany in the legislature. So what happened here? Well, last year there was a BDS bill that passed. That was just a resolution. It says that the New York State Legislature condemns the boycott divestment sanctions movement. But what has happened over the past year since then is a growth, particularly in college campuses, Vassar, Columbia, Brooklyn College, John Jay College, Hunter College, have all had, if you will, BDS incidents of an organization called Students for Justice in Palestine, SJP, that has been very active in trying to restrict or I'm sorry, to trying to get their institutions to divest of Israel. This has happened with some academic organizations also at NYU. Some, But 
New York State and individual municipalities or counties don't have lists, and some of them are putting together lists of companies that boycott Israel that only go ahead and boycott Israel against any other country. And, you know, you don't, it doesn't take you that long when the BDS movements first started. <clears throat> Excuse me, at Harvard, there was a vote. Larry Summers, then not necessarily known as a outspoken Jewish leader, but Larry Summers, then the president of Harvard, spoke out and said that BDS and the boycott of Israel is anti-Semitic in its intent. And that's something to be mindful of. Well, what happens so this year? In the New York State Senate, Senator Jack Martins, Senator Simcha Felder, early on in the session back in January, passed a tough BDS bill that said essentially what the governor's executive order said. If you want to do business with New York State, you cannot support the boycott of Israel, which if you think about it, it's perfectly reasonable to say we won't do business with you if you have certain policies. It is an action. It's not about speech. It's not about saying we restrict your ability to say this, to feel this, to do this. You're actually doing something when you go ahead and call for a boycott or you call for a divestment. If you say that you cannot go ahead and invest or give money or spend money in Israel, you cannot buy an Israeli product. Yes, you are withholding, but you're also committing an action. But let's just go a little bit further. So what happens? Well, in the assembly, that bill unfortunately could not pass. There were a number of different assemblymen, of course, many who supported it. Uh, many of our local people was sponsored by Helene Weinstein of Brooklyn, and there were a number of other prominent, but for whatever reason, the opaque assembly politics of the conference, and we don't know, you got to get 76 votes. Remember, the assembly itself is not a democracy. Because there are 150 members of the assembly, but nothing can pass. They have the Democratic version of what's known in the House of Representatives in Washington of the Hastert Rule. That something needs to have a majority of the party, of the ruling party, in order to pass. So it's not that you need 76 votes to pass something in the New York State Assembly. You need 76 Democrats to pass something in the New York State Assembly. That gives the Democrats, and some individual Democrats, or a small caucus of Democrats significant power uh, in order to block legislation. So for whatever reason, the BDS bill, Martin's Felder bill, that had specific penalties, meaning you cannot do business with the New York State, you cannot get a New York State contract if you promote the boycott of Israel, that stalled in the assembly didn't go anywhere. In fact, one prominent Jewish assemblyman from Long Island, Chuck Levine, a very fine Jewish name and usually very active on Jewish causes, gave a very, I, I thought it was a terrible quote to Newsday, all about free speech and this is a free speech issue and we can't possibly pass the Martins Felder bill in order because it was about free speech and we cannot restrict that here in New York State. Well, Governor Cuomo, thankfully, didn't feel that way. Governor Cuomo decided he was essentially going to put it into law by executive order. And, you know, as you said, Albany in action, we have that many times with the legislature. They couldn't come through. They couldn't go ahead and get it done. But Governor Cuomo did. He took strong action. And now, of course, the pushback. And we see the pushback right away. And the 
the pro BDS movement immediately you know talks about free speech, criminalizing, criminalizing. They talk about it as if somehow there's a criminal penalty here, but they talk about criminalizing the legitimate protest. And, of course, once again, the comparison of Israel to South Africa. So, I think it was yesterday, actually, probably two days ago, uh, Assemblyman Phil Goldfeder, a good friend, a f- frequent guest on the show, who is leaving, not running for re-election. We'll have to leave that for a different time, and we'll have to get him on back on for a little interview. And, but he takes on, he goes on Capital Press Room, which is one of the popular Albany radio talk shows, Together with a, of course, the BDS movement has to bring out a pro BDS person in the form of a professor, Barry Trachtenberg of SUNY Albany, who is a member of the Jewish Voices for Peace. That makes him a pro peace guy. And he, you know, Trachtenberg, of course, has the credentials. He's a professor of history, but not just any history. He's professor of Jewish history and the Holocaust. And he specializes in anti-Semitism. He's a professor of anti-Semitism. And it's actually, you should listen to the podcast as after you listen to this one, of course, uh, and you review this one. But if you listen to the podcast, Goldfeder and Trachtenberg kind of go at it for a couple. And, you know, some of it is just the recycled talking points that you have from Trachtenberg is, well, this is just protests. Israel needs to be taught a lesson. How is Israel going to learn if we don't go ahead and raise our voices in peace? And, of course, uh, Goldfeder gives some excellent, well, you can see I'm a little bit biased to a single side, but Goldfeder gives the excellent examples of SodaStream, SodaStream being the absurd, uh, the absurd extension of the logical conclusion of the BDS movement that SodaStream was forced to lay off Palestinian Arabs who worked in their Mishur Adumim uh, factory because of the boycott against SodaStream because they had a, you know, a factory over the Green Line, well known. And, you know, Trachtenberg continues if you go and he just talks about just the platitudes, once again, the self-righteousness of and the Palestinians have asked for this, even though Palestinians are putting put out of their jobs. And he said, well, the Palestinians asked for this. We have to go ahead and raise our voices. And essentially, I'm embarrassed as a Jew to do it. Then at the end, at the very, very end, we get into the money piece of this. And it was actually also also highlighted by Ben Shapiro, uh, formerly of Breitbart, and now at, uh, well, also star of the Ben Shapiro show. Ben Shapiro came and gave a stirring, incredibly stirring anti-resolution, so it would be anti-BDS statement at UCLA when they were about to vote on a BDS and on a student BDS resolution. And what did, what did he say? That people in who are pro-BDS are essentially targeting the Jews. It's Let's not mistake what it is. They are targeting the Jews. They are targeting Israel. They are tar- solely because it's Israel. And if you look at the absurdity of this entire thing, and you look at, well, the parallels with the South Africa, well, Israel, of course, is not South Africa. And I don't want to get into the whole nitty-gritty of it, but their Arabs have rights in Israel, 20% of the country. 
is voting in the elections. They're citizens. They are there. Okay, people, there's free speech. There's freedom of the press. The fact that you can even debate this, you can't necessarily debate this in many of Israel's neighbors. But for some reason, the only country that these people, many of them Jews, have chosen to target is itself Israel. But again, just to get back, Barry Trachtenberg at the end, at the end of this little debate, very short, uh, moderated, if you will, or interviewed by Susan Arbreder, also a uh, fine uh, a Jewish woman. And Barry, Professor Trachtenberg of SUNY Albany says at the end, where they talk about his history lesson, because, of course, Phil Goldfeder smartly brought up the fact that Israel left Gaza and that it's no longer occupied, and why isn't there peace? Well, Barry Trachtenberg decided that he is going to say and give the money line that betrays his actual feelings that all of Israel, all of Israel, was built on land appropriated from the Palestinians who were thrown out, 750,000 of them, in, I guess, 1948. That's what he's talking about. Didn't really get to finish that. But if you see here... The point here is that there should be no Israel, that Israel should not exist, that Israel is entirely built, I guess, on a crime, on a criminal act of throwing the Palestinians out of their homes. And that is what essentially the goal of an organization like Jewish Voices for Peace is. It's not to say, and when you say you want to punish Israel as opposed to any other country, they're not protesting other countries. They're not protesting what's going on in Iran. not protesting what's going on in Syria. There's no talk of BDS for Russia for its actions in Ukraine. There's no talk of BDS for Saudi Arabia, which will not even allow Jews or Christians to, to come into the country. Only, only Israel is targeted for this. And when you think about it, nobody is excusing if there are acts of injustice anywhere. But what has happened here is that the Palestinian cause, the free Palestine cause, the cause of equal rights for the Palestinians has essentially been appropriated to the larger anti-colonial struggle and people really feel that really and people in this movement feel that israel should not exist so kudos to governor cuomo kudos to assemblyman phil goldfeder for taking on this fight and taking it to them but you have to know what the end goal of many people in the bds and the pro bds movement is it is in fact that israel should not be a jewish state that it's wrong historically that israel is a jewish state and we can't allow that to happen okay now back to our regularly scheduled show which is of course the primaries the primary season is almost done and it seems that hillary clinton is going to be and I don't think there was actually any any type of doubt about that. But Hillary Clinton is the Democratic, the presumptive Democratic nominee. She has gotten there. It was a hard fought and it was definitely difficult, a lot more difficult than it seemed to be uh, initially. That uh, that in order to defeat a a 
socialist from Brooklyn, Bernie Sanders, or from Vermont by way of Brooklyn, uh, to defeat Bernie Sanders, uh, but she finally seems to have done it. But if actually, if you think about it, and just one thing, you know, to keep in mind here, we in two thousand eight, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton also fought to the end, and they also uh, made it exciting. And actually, that race was actually closer, I believe, in many ways than is this one. I know so many people talking about the injustice of it, the injustice, uh, well, I guess some people who are Sanders supporters, the injustice of the fixed system. But if you think about it, I mean, the only thing I can think of really was fixed, if you will, was the debates, the lack of debates, the lack of six debates or something like that, and they were on weekends, and it was just really, uh, I think, inexcusable for the DNC to really rig the that system. But I don't think that, when you think about it, that this was a... If anything, I mean, Hillary Clinton, I think, got 3 million more votes overall than Bernie Sanders did. She absolutely killed him among amongst registered Democrats. Remember that Sanders did well in many places where non-enrolled Democrats, in the, what's known as the open primaries, that where they could go ahead and vote. But Clinton did well in the closed area, in the closed ones. And Sanders did well in the more committed ones where... The caucus ones. But if you look at Washington State, for example, is a great example of this. Washington State holds a caucus and then they hold a primary. Now, the primary is not binding for the delegates. So Washington State calls a primary and uh, that – I'm sorry, holds a caucus for the delegates and Bernie Sanders wins and wins very convincingly. Then they go ahead and hold a essentially a non-binding primary and Clinton wins that. Which is uh, in- interesting if you think about it when it's open up to a little couple more people, open up to a broader spectrum of the electorate, Clinton does better. So where will the Democratic Party go? Well, certainly no expert in the the Democratic Party works. I have to say, you know, there definitely seems to be. I know we're all looking at the fact that there's no energy in the Democratic side. Well, there was a lot more energy on the Republican side. I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily see that. I see some – I see – in many cases, if you look at the race today, it is, of course, inherently difficult for a Republican to win nationally just because of the Electoral College, because many of the big states lean blue or trend blue, and some there are quite a few states that are big, increasingly trending blue. And if you look at the Romney states or the, the states that Romney needs to win, let's say the, or the 15 battleground states, you got to start figuring out where can Trump win, which states can he win, can he pick off from the blue column. And we'll get into that in the coming weeks. We don't have to discuss that all now. But it's a couple thoughts from the primaries. As I said, you know, Bernie taking it to the end, taking it to California. He thought he might win California. He didn't. Okay. He thought he might win um, in New Mexico, um, he didn't. He didn't win in South Dakota either. Um, where, you know, he didn't win New Jersey, that wasn't expected, but he did win in Montana and North Dakota. So, of the, I thought those would probably be the least consequential of the primaries to do that. Now, he, of course, he picked up 303 delegates, but Clinton picked up 391. And overall, that ra- this race is over. It's time, for, you know, Clinton is now moving to the next mode, and she gave a very effective speech, uh, really getting in, I think, it seemed to me, uh, catching the Trump campaign flat-footed. In fact, they, camp- they complained. The Trump campaign complained about the fact that Hillary Clinton billed it as a foreign policy speech, and she made a political speech. 
and she Trump, and they had no response. There was no response from the Trump. There's no response from the RNC. The best they could do was have Paul Ryan uh, give an announcement during that, which uh, which kind of stole some thunder from her. But there was nothing uh, going on on the Republican side. No rapid response. No talking points about Hillary Clinton and her foreign policy failures and all kinds of things that you Clinton Global Initiative. A whole bunch of rapid response that you would have figured. Trump campaign, in fact, complained. They said, well, that was not the speech that she intended to give. Guys, this is the big leagues. Bring your A game. Be prepared for every day. Be prepared for And I think what's going on in the Trump campaign, it's, yeah, I'm seeing it, it reported in different places, and you, you piece it all together. They're just undermanned. They just don't know. I mean, they don't have a communication shop that's sitting there cranking this stuff out and teeing it up, ready to go. In fact, they all seem to be paralyzed, waiting for what the message should be on any given day. And that is... You know, so much has gone on. I don't want to get too much into this whole judge thing because it has, I think, has been very, 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 uh, well, just so destructive to Trump. But remember, that all starts, that whole judge thing starts with a Trump business case. This Trump University thing is about Trump's business. It's something in court. Why can't he just let his paid lawyers deal with this? Why is Trump consuming so much energy, so much of the Republicans' energy, and then going down that rabbit hole of racism or perceived racism. I mean, I look, I don't see any other way around it. It is racism. It is racist to go ahead and say that somebody cannot be fair because they are Mexican. In fact, well, of course, the judge is not Mexican. He's from Indiana. At what point is somebody no longer Mexican? I mean, look, I'll always be Jewish because I'm Jewish, my religion, but if I wanted to say that, if let's just say I was from, you know, my family came from Russia, or they came from Lithuania to this country, am I going to be Lithuanian forever? So it's it's a little bit, I, I, I don't know where Trump draws the line, but I, you almost get the feeling that if in Trump world that the judges should only be white Christian men because they otherwise everybody else might have a beef with him. I mean, in fact, you know, it's not so much of a stretch to him to say because he says, well, uh, you know, he's got Mexican heritage and he's part of proud of his heritage, and Trump is proud of his heritage. Well, Trump's heritage is German, so maybe a Jewish judge would be disqualified because he might feel that. Well, I don't even want to go there. But one thing that I feel and I've always feel uh, that uh, felt that the country should stand on is this principle that George Washington sent in his famous letter to the Jews of Newport, Rhode Island, to those in the Toro Synagogue, with its line of, the United States of America gives bigotry, no sanction, persecution, no assistance. And that should apply as Jews. We should say that should apply everywhere. That should apply to everyone. That should apply to Mexicans. That should apply to those who are born in Indiana. You cannot go ahead and say that this person cannot do something or can be labeled or is this type of person because of their religion, ethnicity, skin color. You just can't go there. It's really shocking that in 2016, when we have just, well, we have an African-American in the White House and we are having the first woman, first female nominee of a major party, and we're still 
talking about this very basic creed, this very basic American idea. And it's a revolutionary, it was a revolutionary idea. But we're talking about how are we going back? Are, is that, you know, make America great again? Just make it for white Christian people or white people? I, I just, well, again, let's not go there. But there is something that, there is something to this because it just seems that they are not ready. You know, the Trump campaign is not ready for the general election. And I have to say, you know, it's now been since May 3rd. I think May 3rd was Indiana. And, you know, he had it wrapped up. It was over. Why are you not able to pivot in the five weeks that have happened since then? Nothing has happened that makes you feel. And I wanted to give, you know, I've been tough on the show. I've been tough on Trump, but definitely skeptical, not interested, not supportive, etc. But I think I'm one of those Republicans who could have felt that I could have come along to Trump. And I, as I said, I, look, I don't find I don't find Hillary to be a a wonderful choice, uh, and I'm not, certainly not there. But I would I could have been convinced that we go to Trump. But he has done everything in the other way that has kind of led me to believe that he cannot or should not be president of the United States. And I'm not going to go through the, all those reasons, but it's just not. Forget about the fact that I don't agree with him on the issues. We'll leave, we'll leave that aside. But one thing is just with regard to the campaign, it has been so god-awful. They're just not doing the things that they need to do to win, which as a campaign operative, as a political professional, is just really shocking to me because you know, there are people out there. There's a, whole, there's a whole wealth of Republican talent, and nobody is going ahead over there. Uh, no, nobody is getting the job done. I mean – Today they announced they're hiring a pollster, John McLaughlin, uh, good, good pollster, and he and they are widely used, and they are hiring a pollster for New York State. Huh? I mean, Trump seems to have this fixation that he wants to win New York State, even though he's 20-plus points behind. I can't see any scenario whatsoever, given the predominance of New York City and New York City voters in New York State. I mean, maybe if you take New York City out of New York State, Trump can win. But, of course, that's we don't get to choose who is within the boundaries. But, it, of course, it's absurd. It's ridiculous to spend money on it. And w- there are so many states that you need to get to first before you go to New York State. So this is what you're spending precious resource on. It. You're not staffing up, in many cases, that places that need filling holes, that you need to do that. But you're doing that. And, you know, the thing that people are saying, in general, is the Sanders voters are not going to Clinton. And you know, there's a large percentage of Sanders voters, and maybe they won't vote for Hillary, etc. Now, one thing that's interesting from the primaries that happened this week, the final primaries on the Republican side, is that there are a lot of voters on the Republican side who came out to vote in various states who didn't vote for Donald Trump, even though he was the only one still left in the race. He only got 75% of the vote in California. Now, that's a lot, of course, but 25% of the voters didn't vote for Donald Trump. That's a lot of voters. I think 386,000 Republican voters voted for somebody else. In South Dakota, he only got two-thirds of the vote. 44,000 votes for Trump. 22,000 did not vote for him. They voted for somebody else. Now, generally, I will say, it's just a lot of the times those people will stay home. 
But somehow Republicans came to the polls, they got up, they decided they're going to go vote, they wanted to vote in the primary, and they did not vote for the other guy, only guy on the ballot. Now, we talk about Republican unity, we talk about the Republicans coming together, and there were for a while... Trump looked like he was on that trajectory to basically say, I'm, there's no alternative, let's work together, we're going to do this. And in this past week, and I think over the past, let's say, 10 days, he it has just gone off the rails. A lot of it has gone with regard to the judge, but there's so much else that he has shown that he's undisciplined and unwilling to listen and continues to attack. And we talked about the attack on Susana Martinez, governor of New Mexico, just being gratuitous, just being unfortunate, just being ill-advised and ill-timed. And I have to say, I, I find it very, very surprising that this continues and they continue to make these mistakes. And, you know, the donors are certainly knowing. They have now recalibrated their fundraising. They have now, from a billion-dollar goal, now it's apparently $500 million. It might even be less than that. A lot of donors don't want to cut checks directly to, to Trump with his name because why? Because he continues to alienate and attack the donor class. He continues to attack the elites. And if you're going to attack your donors, that's generally not a good recipe for getting money from them. So anyway, I just want to close, as we say, the the bigotry issue, very, very problematic. I think it's very problematic for the Jews. I think it's it's very troubling. Um, I also noticed, of course, that Sheldon Adelson, or the force of the fact that he is has pledged about $100 million to Trump, he hasn't yet come forth with that. That money is still not it. Doesn't know where the, don't, doesn't know where that is. I'm sorry, doesn't know what super PAC to give that to. So we will see. There's a lot of interesting things going on in this campaign. And it's, I think Hillary has said game on. Trump has said game on. And we'll see what happens. So thanks for joining us here for another Thursday morning political talk and analysis. And we hope to see you next week. Stay tuned for the Jewish City Speaks here on the Nachum Siegel Network.